Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Are you someone who has no idea that they can be heard? Has brilliant ideas and wants to get them out there? Has a podcast but can't keep up with the work or just wants to focus on things that matter? Then Podcast Engineers is your gateway to get your voice heard. They don't just edit your podcast. They enhance your listeners' experience. You simply do what you do best. That is to record and they do the rest. You can find them at podcastengineers.com. Rob and I have been using Podcast Engineers to help make our show sound great. Send them an email to get an episode edited free and a discounted plan. Are you stressed about insurance? Get a custom insurance policy at a good price that lets you rest easy knowing your business is covered in case of a loss. With over six years of experience specializing in insuring small to medium-sized businesses in Ontario, your focus should be growing your business and ours is to protect it. Contact on at theinsurers.ca. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 61. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me is the often imitated, never duplicated, Sandy McKay. Hey Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Yeah. How about you? Great. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Having a busy month here before the holidays and uh, getting uh, excited for new stuff for the new year. A busy month of travel. Oh, no, not really. You've been out and about. I see what's going on on Facebook. Yeah. No time for work. Yeah, right. Not for you. (laughs) Well, anyway, this is our December edition, so I guess it's uh, our Christmas episode. So I'm wearing my ugly Christmas sweater, and I showed it to you guys before we started. It is a true ugly Christmas sweater. It's like green and red with designs all over, and it's got Darth Vader, and he says, I find your lack of cheer disturbing. So even though we're not even into December yet when we're recording this, I figured I would get in the spirit, try to envision myself at Christmas time, listening back to the show. And what are you doing for Christmas time? Are you slowing down business-wise, or are you going full steam? Or I hope so. I, I definitely want to slow down. You know, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while, you just go through the, uh, especially with rentals going on, right? I think I'm going to put the rental projects on the back burner for a little bit once these ones are completely wrapped up. So do you have some advice for anybody listening, Sandy? <laughs> well, I, I think I have some advice that they should go grab our free report there on our website, breakthroughrapodcast.ca. Get that report right now. It's been up there for a while. The Seven Freedom Activators. I can. What is it called again? I forget now. Seven. It's the the Seven Freedom Activators that you can trigger in your property starting right now. There you go. I had it. I you had wrote it, it for crying out loud. 
Maybe it's time to update, actually, to be honest. Cause it it's, probably it's a few is. Years back now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We need something new for the new people to come over and uh, pick up for free. So still relevant, though. I think some, you should go grab that. More importantly, even beyond that, you can get up on our newsletter there on our email list, and we'll update you with new episodes that come out. We'll send you some other uh, extra value through email just uh, in terms of different events we're having. You know, we're always doing some property tours in and around the greater Toronto area, different areas as well with that. So get on that list and uh, don't miss out on anything coming up. As well, it would be really, really awesome if you guys could all go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. We've got a bunch of five-star reviews, Sandy. We've got even more now. I think we've got, well, 113 reviews, and the majority of them are five stars. Of course, I looked back to see what the most critical one was. Actually, for fun, I'll see if I can uh, bring that one up. Yeah. So... This was our most critical review that we've gotten on iTunes. It's not that bad, but it was written almost three years ago. I mean, that was almost when we first started, I think. Anyway, it says, I'd just like to thank you guys for putting in your time and effort into this great podcast. I'd like to hear more about both of your current endeavors and real estate topics covered in greater detail. Just a beginning Canadian investor, this is a great option for me to learn the basics and see if some of the U.S. strategies of REI apply. I wanted to be the guy who offered some constructive criticism to improve the show for 2015. I personally do not like the casual atmosphere of the show. I think it would be more useful to people if the podcast was more organized and pre-written to have a smoother presentation. I am turned off of the show when I hear stuttering, disorganization, and too much (laughs) casual talk and poorly worded speech. There is a lot of value in these conversations, but I've found the show hard to extract information from. Thank you for hearing out my opinions. So hopefully, I mean, that was left for us February 12th, 2015. So that was almost three years ago. Hopefully, we've improved the show since then. But uh, I just thought I'd read it because I went back to see. That was our most critical review, and it was only three stars. But the majority of them are five stars, and we've got 113 altogether. 106 of them are five stars. So anyway, on that note, I'm going to read the most recent ones that we've gotten. There's uh, just three here to read, so I'll do that now. Okay, this one is by Spring Cleaning 12987 And it says, a good mix of guests on the show to provide a broad look at all aspects of real estate. Very informative and keep up the good work. Five stars. The next one is from Pancake, something like that. And it says, great podcast, five stars. As an investor, two doors in and in my first six months, this podcast is so full of relevant material. Some episodes I will have to listen to again. There is so much in them. Keep up the good work, and Rob, keep coming up with nicknames for Sandy. (laughs) Last one is from Jamaki Real Estate Wealth, and he or she says, helpful and relevant, five stars. Great podcast for Canadian investors. Does not require translation. No mention of 1031 exchanges here. (laughs) Gotcha. Rob and Sandy are experts with loads of personal experience in the industry and they bring in excellent guests who share about a variety of strategies i never miss an episode keep up the great work okay so thanks guys thanks for all of that and i encourage everyone who hasn't done so to please go over and leave their five-star reviews for us as well 
I think we're becoming pretty visible here, man. I've, I've checked out to see what some of the other podcasts that are doing similar things are getting in the way of uh, reviews and stuff. And I mean, we by far got the most reviews here. So I just want to thank everyone who's taking the time to go over and do that. So we're really happy to have Nicole on with us, and she's definitely just been waiting very patiently in the background while I rambled on about that for the last little while here. So let's get into our interview with her, Sandy. How does that sound? Sounds fantastic. Yeah, we've got Nicole Edmonds here with us today, and she's a real estate investor from the Muskoka area, so just a little bit north of Toronto. And she's personally invested in 15 real estate deals over the last three and a half years. And has now supplemented her full-time income with her income from real estate. And uh, just a year after actually graduating from the University of Western here in Ontario with the biology degree, she began investing in real estate after realizing the rat race wasn't for her. And she strongly believes that to make money in real estate, you must first become well-educated. So she focuses on uh, purchasing cash-flowing multi-unit properties with joint ventures and other non-traditional strategies. So yeah, really excited to have you with us here, Nicole. Thanks very much. Thanks for having Welcome me. to the show. Anything else from that bio there that we missed? Or is that a good quick mm-hmm. overview? I think that's a good overview. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for being here with us again. Did you want to start by telling us a little bit about your investing journey so far? 15 doors, sure. that's pretty awesome. Or 15 properties, I guess. Yeah, so I started investing about three and a half years ago. I had a biology degree. so And out of university, I was working downtown Toronto, I had a job kind of in my field. I was working for a pharmaceutical advertising agency and I was not making a lot of money and I was working really long hours. And I ended up seeing on TV an interview that a young real estate investor was doing and he was talking about how he had used his student loans in university to invest in rental properties. And I think that if I had seen maybe an older real estate investor with a different strategy and a suit on TV, I might not have thought there was an opportunity for me. But because of his story, I thought, oh, maybe there's something I could do. So I started researching. I ended up at a few seminars and I was in a three-day workshop and it was all brand new to me. It was a new language to me, but I was learning about cash flowing properties and how theoretically you could invest in properties that were bringing in positive cash flow and you could supplement your income and not have to work. And I don't know if you guys have ever played or when you were a kid, if you ever played the computer game, The Sims. My wife did. Okay. So when I was a kid, I played that game a little bit. And in the game, you kind of have a human avatar and, you know, you have a house and, but to make more money, to put things in your house, you have to go to work. And so it kind of, it's a simulation of real life. And it was a bummer because you just wanted to deck out your house. And so there was a kind of keyboard code that you could type in and it would give you unlimited money. This was a cheat to the game. And I remember sitting in that workshop, listening to this idea of, well, you could, you know, you could crank it for three or five years and supplement your income and not have to work for the rest of your life. And I thought, holy cow, this is the cheat to real life. And so definitely I knew this was something I wanted to do. So I kind of switched over from the whole biology path and I started investing in student rentals. I think because of my age and just because this was a new idea, it was a little bit daunting to me. I could stomach the idea of being a landlord for students, but I couldn't really stomach the idea of being a landlord for people my parents' age. So I started with student rentals and I just wanted to see that this worked. So the first property I did was kind of turnkey, no renovation required. 
and it started cash flowing. And so then I moved on to another student rental. And then as I got a bit more experience, I felt comfortable to kind of expand. And I started focusing more on small multi-unit residential. I took on some kind of buy, fix, rent and refinance strategies. I didn't have my own. I mean, I wasn't starting with a lot of money. So I did a lot of partnering. I did a lot of borrowing down payments, second mortgage money. From the refinances, I was able to roll over money that way. And so now I focus mostly on uh, multi-unit residential and yeah, and mostly partner with people to do that. Very, very cool. And you're actually the producer of The Everyday Investor on Rogers as well. I am. Yeah, it's actually it's uh, gone Canada-wide now. It's on uh, CHCH. That's really cool. And I've seen you on the show a couple of times talking about your numbers and your deals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been awesome to get to share that. So everyone check that show out as well. Okay, now as a young investor, what are some of the advantages and ch- as well as the challenges of getting into real estate at, you know, how old were you when you started? Yeah, so I would have been 23, 24 when I started. Yeah, so there's definitely got to be some challenges being so young. I know even though I wasn't as young when I started, I kept out there was a lot of people that said to me, man, you're like, how how many places do you own? How old are you? Yeah, definitely. And I think that for people who aren't in maybe the creative real estate game, knowing that you can invest in real estate without a lot of money, they don't think that's possible. So I think initially people think, oh, to invest in real estate, you need a lot of money. And that kind of pushes a lot of young people. I mean, that's a generalization, but most young people, you know, haven't had the time to kind of build up their savings. That's really one aspect of investing in real estate. There's so many different things that you need. So Yes, you definitely need down payment money and you need borrowing power, right? If you're going to get mortgages on these properties, you need to be able to qualify for mortgages. So I would say that those are two of the perhaps disadvantages to starting young because you maybe haven't built up your credit or you don't have a high paying job yet. But what you do have, and I think that this is where it's so powerful, is a lot of the time people starting younger have the time to put into it. So they've got the time to find the property and start building that portfolio and really kind of hustle to build all of that. You've got the willingness and the energy to do all of that. And I think a lot of the time, I think this is actually a really big benefit to starting young that people overlook. But for people who have been in the working world using traditional strategies for the past 30 years of their lives, So what I mean by traditional strategies is they've been going to work, saving their money, putting it in RSPs, investing in mutual funds, working on paying off their mortgage so that they can retire when they're, you know, 65. I think that a huge advantage of starting when you're young is you haven't gone through 30 years of that conditioning of thinking that that's the way that your life has to go. You know, so especially when we're talking about investing in rental properties, we talk a lot about leveraging. We talk a lot about buy, fix, rent, refinance. You're constantly pulling out more money, increasing your mortgage. So you're really using debt to your advantage. And I think for a lot of people, that is something very difficult for them to get over. Whereas for a young person who hasn't gone through all of that conditioning, you guys actually talk a lot about mindset on the show, but I think it's important to have mindset of, you know, I can do this and I will do this, but also, even just the mindset of getting around some of those more traditional obstacles. Mm-hmm. Especially even when you try to tell people like why they should, you know, oh, I've got my home paid off now finally, like my parents might say, 
or someone like their age. And then you try to say to them, well, you should really like pull some money out of that place and invest it into uh, some more real estate. And they're like, what? what? What are you talking about? We just spent our lives paying it off. Why the heck would we want to do that? Exactly. Exactly. And there's a phrase, and I think it's at a, one of the major banks in their corporate office, and it says, tradition eats strategy for breakfast. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's where even though you can lay it all out on paper and say it makes more sense for you to leverage, you know, the equity in your house and invest in real estate and make a way bigger return, people are still held back by that tradition. Definitely. What about Nicole uh, being younger than I guess most people in the investment world? How did that affect you in terms of joint ventures, finding money, that type of thing? Was that a challenge at all for you? I think for me, you know, you can play that side to your advantage. I do think that people see in a younger person, someone who's willing to put in all this energy and they're, you know, they've got high ambitions and, and people want to invest with someone like that. So I think you can play that to your advantage, you know, maybe starting out. I think that something that you really have to use to back yourself up is getting the education so that you are very knowledgeable when you speak about your strategies, because, you know, you can't use, oh, I've got all these years of experience behind me. You're going to have to use that. I've done all of this training or I have all of the support to put that behind you. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then I think an obvious advantage too is, you know, with real estate, you've got compounding interest, right? If you're investing in a property and it's appreciating, that's compounding over time. There's a huge benefit to starting early. If you've got 30 years to kind of see that grow, there's a huge difference than if you've got, you know, five or 10 years to see that grow before you're going to need to start drawing upon it. So I think there's lots of advantages. Obviously, the money and the borrowing power, those are important, but then there's alternative ways for a young person to get those. You know, there's a woman on my street that I see, she walks by quite often, and uh, I stopped and I was talking to her one day, and she was telling me how I think she bought her house for like $14,000, you know, and just the amazement on her face, because we were talking about the market, and she's like, you know, I'm going to need to sell pretty soon, my house is worth like $600,000 now. So, I mean, it's very similar to what you're talking about. Like we're going to, you know, there's nothing proven more stable anyways than real estate. So, yeah. Exactly. Especially if you're in it for the long term, right? You're going to see those increases massively. I would just answered your next question, I think. Well, I was going to say, (laughs) Nicole, what strategies do you focus on generally? Is is there one main strategy you use? Yeah. So for me, because my goal, which... I think it's so important to clearly define your goal at the beginning. My goal was to supplement my income with income from rental properties and specifically with cash flow. So cash flow is passive income, right? As you, once you kind of set up your property, yes, there's some management that needs to go into it, but kind of takes a lot less work versus renovating, getting quick cash. And now you're not making money until you do it again. So I knew that my goal was to kind of build up that cash flow base so that my income was supplemented. I didn't have to go to work anymore. And then I could maybe focus on some more creative strategies if I wanted to flip or something like that. So right now, most of my focus is really on cash flow, high cash flow, and I invest with a buy and hold model. So I've done some buy, renovate, rent and refinance, but it's all to create a cash flowing property that I can buy and hold. And why do you choose that model then in general? Why do you want to hold them all? Mm Mm-hmm. Especially as someone who's looking for not working, especially. I know a lot. I talk to some people, they want to flip, just create some capital and make some money. Why do you prefer buying and holding? Yeah. So definitely I put the emphasis on the high cash flow 
And then the buy and hold, I think if you're combining those two strategies, now the cash flow is kind of your buffer. It's your cushion. It's what makes this low risk in that kind of anything can happen, you know, ups and downs can happen in the market, but you've got your cash flow there. So you're making money. If property values go down from this year to next year or in the next two years, you don't really care because you've got the positive cash flow coming in each month. So because of that buffer, I invest with a buy and hold model. I think, first of all, it's a lot more risky if you're purchasing, knowing, okay, I need to sell in two years, or I need to sell in three years, and you're dependent on, or I'm going to do a six-month renovation. I have to sell at that point. You're dependent on where the market is going to be. That's I feel a lot more speculative, and it's one of the things that I think can put people in a position where, especially if they're not positively cash flowing, they have to take a loss. It's interesting, Rob, because you were talking about that, but you were also talking about kind of having the backup plan that you can just keep it and rent it so that you don't have to experience, you know, you don't put yourself in that position where you experience that loss. So I think that having that buy and hold model, now you're in a situation where it doesn't mean you have to hold the property for 30 years, but if property values are down in two years, you can wait it out. So Mm -hmm. you can always be in a position where you can choose to buy low, sell high. You're never forced to buy at a certain price and sell low. Yeah, exactly. And I've always said too, I don't care if somebody tells me that my house is worth a dollar tomorrow. It's still making a bunch of money for me and exactly. uh, I don't have to sell it right now. So exactly. it doesn't matter. Yeah, we can ride it out. Wait until uh, it values come back up. If you have to sell it, then you could sell it then. Exactly. And I think when I was starting and I was so excited about this, you know, cheat to life uh, and I was talking to friends and family and I started kind of getting hit with all the, oh, well, what happens if you have a vacancy or what happens if interest rates go up? I feel like the buy and hold with high cash flow model can answer all of those things. You can determine, you know, what kind of a cash flow buffer you want on your properties to feel comfortable with. You can calculate if interest rates go up to 10%, am I breaking even or am I negative now? Like you can kind of manage all that. To me, finding those cash flow properties is the most important. And then kind of on that note, how do you choose the markets to look at to find those deals? And how do you find the deals once you choose the market or what comes first? Yeah. So for me, what comes first is I'm looking for markets that fit the cash flow model that I'm looking for. So I use the 1% rule to kind of evaluate these different areas. So that's where I'm looking at purchase prices in the area. If the purchase price of a property and that property is bringing in 1% of that purchase price in monthly rent, that meets the 1% rule. And I'm interested. This to me is now a possible cash flowing property or a cash flowing area. So For example, you find a $500,000 house bringing in $5,000 a month in rent. That meets the 1% rule. I'm interested in that area. So if you're from, you know, kind of the center of a big city, you're probably thinking that's impossible. And that rule weeds out a lot of, it's typically major cities, but it weeds a lot of them out because purchase prices are so high and rents are not getting close to that 1%. So I'm looking at all of the kind of non-hot markets. They're not the markets that there's tons of headlines about appreciation in a hot market. No, they're the kind of more boring areas. The purchase prices are reasonable. The rents are high. Now I am looking at some different kind of stats on the town or the city. So population size, I don't love to invest in a place that has a smaller population size than 20,000. I'm looking at vacancy rate in the area. And I'm also looking at kind of who the major employers are and what industries are kind of feeding that town or that city. 
if it's a one industry town, to me, that's risky because if something happens to that industry, that's going to affect my vacancies, right? And then after, kind of once I've determined that, so I've seen, okay, there's cash flow in this area. The demographics, the stats on the area make me feel comfortable. I feel comfortable with this. Then I'm also looking at, you know, I'm taking into account a little bit. Is this an area that there's expected appreciation? Are they extending maybe transportation routes this way or are there, is there new developments going on? But for me, because I'm focusing on cash flow, that's kind of the third thing that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of identify my markets. And there's a ton of them. I invest in Ontario. So there's a ton of them in Ontario. They're just, they're not the sexy markets to be investing in. And then, so once I've kind of identified those and I don't focus on just one area and build my whole portfolio there. My properties are quite spread out all over Ontario. So if a good cash flow property comes up kind of in any of those areas, it doesn't bother me if it's not, you know, in my hometown or in the town that I went to university, it doesn't matter to me. So once I've kind of identified those, I think Sandy, your question was, how do I find those deals once I've identified them? Yeah. Yeah. So I've worked with like, I'll typically get a connection with a realtor in that area you know, an investor focused realtor who can send me the types of deals that I'm looking for. I've purchased deals just from finding them on MLS. And, you know, I purchased a property from calling. There was a property that had a for sale sign out front. I had no idea what it was, if it was multi-unit or what it was. And this was earlier in my investing, but a mentor of mine said, just start calling realtors, get comfortable asking them these questions, get confident with it. So I called on the property. It ended up being a really high cash laying triplex. So kind of all different ways. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to putting yourself out there. That's, I guess, the moral of the story. Put yourself out there. Let people know that you're looking for properties. That's really the only way that they're going to come to you. Exactly. Start calling on properties on a property that looks good to you. Even if that one's not great, you've now made a connection with a realtor who typically lists those types of properties, right? And they know that you're interested in buying. So you know, but be active. Don't just kind of sit in the background and don't take action. Once you start doing that, deals start coming your way. So let's say you're someone who doesn't have really a lot of money. So you like for you to just say, well, I'm going to put the down payment on a place and buy it. That's not going to work for this person because they just don't have it. What would you say are some strategies for somebody like that starting out with very, very little money? So there's quite a few different strategies. I think some of the more common ones, these are the ones that I like to use are partnering. So where you're finding a money partner, someone who they're willing to bring the down payment to the table and perhaps co-sign for the mortgage. And you as the working partner, the person who's not coming with money, but you're coming with the knowledge, the connections, the time, the willingness to do all of this. So you've got your working partner, money partner. I think that's a hugely beneficial strategy for both sides. And now you're starting to use other people's money. And once you start doing that, it becomes unlimited on how many deals you can do, right? So you're connecting with someone else. They've, you know, typically in my experience, I've found, you know, these are people that have been working hard. They've, yeah, perhaps paid off their house or they've got, you know, money and savings, different assets, and they're not willing to do the work that's involved. They don't want to manage tenants. They don't like that idea. So partnering with those people is a great way that you can start buying property. I've also borrowed down payment money. So registered money as a second mortgage after the bank. And now I make sure that the property can pay, of course, for its regular mortgage, but also for this down payment mortgage. And so I've done that. And in that situation, I don't have a partner in the deal, but just a lender in the deal. Mm-hmm. 
That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, the best way to get started is go out and see. I guess the hard part is for somebody who hasn't bought anything, they're obviously not going to be the expert partner or the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the hands-on person. Maybe not right up front, but they, they got to go out and get that first one. Something that possibly doesn't need as much work, but maybe some work, cosmetic stuff. Everyone can get their hands dirty with those kind of things. But even if you've got like half the money or a third of the money, you can talk to people and join up, join forces. Yeah, and I think that, you have to think long-term as a working partner, right? So yes, it would be ideal to start partnering with people and get 50-50 of these deals. But at the beginning, when you don't have that experience, you're asking your partner to kind of take on some risk with you. So to get that that experience, which is going to be so valuable for your money partners later, yeah, maybe it means saying to somebody, listen, you put in all the money, I'll do all the work, and we'll do a 20%, 80% split, right? Like make it beneficial for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I know somebody who just completely said if they partnered with somebody who they didn't partner, they didn't take any equity. They were just shadowing somebody, right? To get that experience. But yeah, I think that you need to focus at the beginning on just kind of building that resume for yourself. So then it becomes beneficial going forward. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like just make it work. Just prove to yourself that you Mm -hmm. can do it. And that will open the doors for you too, because that's one of the things like a couple of years ago, Sandy and I both did a lot of wholesaling of properties and people ask me now and people shop deals to me and they don't get it. They're trying to do like, they're really pushing the limits on, uh, well, actually they're just making the deal unbuyable basically because they want like $20,000 assignment fees and this kind of thing. Like it's very, (laughs) very typical of what I'm seeing to the people that are coming out to the REI clubs and stuff now. And I'll pull them aside because I feel like it's my duty. Like they're just going to quit because they're not going to get that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's my duty to say to them, look, just make it work. Like make $500, but just prove to yourself that you can do it. Don't be so greedy. And yeah, so that's a very good point. Just take less equity, you know, just make the deal happen and you'll prove to yourself that you can do it and then you can carry on and keep building. Mm -hmm. And that was actually another strategy I wanted to bring up the wholesaling. You know, that's not a strategy to own the property, but it's a great earned income strategy so that you can acquire that down payment and buy the first property on your own. You know, so maybe you do four wholesaling deals and you assign them at $5,000 each. Now you've got 20 K and there's your down payment for a property. Depends on where you are, but that could be a down payment in some markets Mm -hmm. for your property. Right. That's true. And for those of you that don't know what that is, basically you just get a purchase and sale agreement on a certain property that other investors are going to like, and you can shop that to them and just say, Hey, I've got this deal. If you want to buy it from me, I'll give it to you for $5,000. And uh, yeah, that's a really good strategy for people starting out with no money. Definitely. Exactly. If you're going to use that wholesaling strategy, obviously now there's more work in that you have to build that network. You have to find those people that are interested buyers you have to do the legwork of finding under market value properties. So there's still something for you to put in, but you know, to start making money, you don't have to put in money for all kinds of deals. And you learn, learn a lot through doing that as well. Anyways, you get a network, learn how to look at deals and analyze them. I think we have a whole episode on that, Rob. Probably number. We probably five, have a couple. Probably a couple in the first, I would say in the first 10 episodes, there's a couple of them there. Nicole, I was going to ask too, because I get this a lot from people asking me, because we do a similar thing. You know, we raise joint venture money and that. Where do you, have you found, or at least starting out maybe, how were you able to find people with this money? Where was it and how did you access it? Mm-hmm. So 
here's how I think of it. This is how I explain it to other people who are starting to look for money partners is that any money partner. So I think they kind of need to be convinced of or believe in three things. And those are one that they want to invest in real estate. They understand these strategies. They understand the power of investing in real estate. Two is that they want to invest with you. So they trust you. They like you. They understand your experience. They trust their money with you. And the last one is that they want to invest in the specific deal that you bring them. So with these in mind, with the first one, finding somebody who understands investing in real estate, you obviously have a huge leg up if you're going to a meetup group or some sort of network where everybody who's there clearly wants to invest in real estate. They're already on that train of thought. And now with that, if you already find somebody who's there, now you just need to work on kind of building that connection with them, building a relationship, having them kind of like you. Versus if you go to friends and family first, now you need to teach them the value of investing in real estate and kind of have them understand the different strategies. So I've used both. I've gone to friends and family. That's how I started first because I didn't have the track record. So I probably looked less appealing to people. And then I started kind of as I built that track record, I've met a lot of partners through different real estate networking groups and just talking to people. Any sort of media opportunity that I've had has usually resulted in interested partnership opportunities. Right. And now when you go to talk to these people, and we've talked about mindset quite a bit on our show, but how important do you think it is to have, I guess, a, a winning mindset when you're talking to people about investing in your deals? Mm-hmm. So I think it's so important. And I talk to people who are in my shoes, but with less experience that are just starting out. And I can tell that they don't believe in what they're offering to people. So they don't really see the value of having a working partner. They feel like they're asking a money partner for a favor. So I think it's so important that the working partner understands that, no, that money partner, if you're talking to the right person, if it's somebody who's willing to put in all the work themselves, then they're not going to see value. But somebody who maybe hasn't invested in real estate before, they're maybe getting close to retirement, or they're just at a busy stage in their life, they're not willing to put in the time, or they're just completely scared of managing a property and managing tenants but they want to make the kinds of returns that you can get with real estate, they're going to see huge value in getting involved and having it be passive for them. So where they don't have to do any of that work. So, and I think that for myself, when I started talking to people and talking about, I was nervous. I felt like I was asking them for a favor and investing money because I wasn't going to put in any money. And because I didn't have the money, I felt like that was the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And as I kind of went through that, I could hear people saying to me, Really? And so I don't have to do anything and I get to make half of the return on the deal. And hearing people say that and hearing how they were valuing what I was bringing to the table was a mindset shift for me and gave me so much more confidence when I was talking to people because I realized, you know, if they're making 3% in their mutual fund and I'm offering them half of a 30% return on investment deal, I'm offering them 15% and they have to do nothing. And so if they have no other way of seeing those kinds of returns, they value that hugely. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's important for a working partner. If you're going to go into a conversation like that, you have to understand what you're bringing to the table and how that's a value. And like I said, it might not be a value for somebody who's willing to put in that effort and work themselves, but there's tons of people who aren't. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I couldn't agree more. You know what? It is really tough to actually start to realize that. So I think that's one of the key things for people that are listening to this to focus on is to understand the value that you're bringing because it it is tough to do that. We need the money. 
that's what we need as the uh, expert partner. So if we don't have it, the deal doesn't get done. Now, alternatively, the deal doesn't get done without the expert partner either. So everyone's bringing, uh, I believe, equally important piece of the puzzle to the table. Yeah, exactly. Nicole, is there a quote or a piece of info or advice that's always stuck with you? And how has it helped you? Yeah, so this one, and I'm probably with my science background, very analytical. So I like the formulas and I stick to them. So I definitely like and kind of go by, don't change the numbers to fit the property. Find the property that fits the numbers. Mm-hmm. So I think all too often I'll be talking to someone and they'll say, well, you know, the 1% rule doesn't work here or, well, there really aren't cash flowing properties here, especially if I'm factoring in, you know, buffers like a vacancy allowance and a property management fee and repairs and maintenance. So I'm just not going to include those things and then the numbers will work. Yeah, which is not realistic. You're going to be in a bad situation where you're taking money out of your pocket to feed the property. And I think that's where it comes back again to your goals, right? Are you trying to just own real estate and have them break even? Or is your goal to be having that extra income so you can do other things? And so if that's the case, you got to stick with the formulas and then move to the areas or find the properties that fit that, but not the other way around. Very cool. I like that one. One more quick question. Just I was just thinking about it. Going back, talking about the money, finding the money there. How were you able to, because people are asking me this as well, and I'm just curious what your experience was, Nicole. When you're trying to get over that mindset of asking for money, what was it for you that made you actually get over that? Like, How were you able to convince yourself that you're bringing enough value there? What was, yeah. what was it that helped you overcome that? So for me, it was hearing from the money partners that they could see the value. So I had done tons and tons of phone calls, and I got less and less nervous every time I did these phone calls. And... The people that were saying that, first of all, weren't scared off by this idea of whatever I was offering, a 60-40 split or a 50-50 split. And you could tell they were interested and they wanted to make these returns. And then I realized, oh, I'm not asking for something that's ridiculous. And there was a investor and I was kind of giving her a little bit of mentoring. And same deal. She had no money to put in and was super nervous to be calling money partners and asking them to invest with her. And I said, just start calling them. Like she, when she had sourced them, I said, just start calling them. And the first few might go terribly. But by the time you're talking to, you've made your 10th phone call, you're going to understand more the value. I think that you can think through it, but you really have to believe it. So for me, a lot came from starting, from doing it and taking that action. Perfect. I was hoping you'd say that because that's what I figured was going to be the answer. But I think most people will ask me that same thing and they, you know, they say, oh, I've tried calling people. Nobody wants to invest with me. I'm like, how many people have you called? Because if it's not like into the hundreds, then you're not trying enough. <laughs> you haven't exactly. taken enough action probably to realize or to find the right person. Because sometimes it can take hundreds of people. It might not be in your first 10 or 20 conversations that you find the right person. But if you keep going at it, there's people out there that need it and see value in it for sure. You just have to take more action. Exactly. And I feel like that with a lot of real estate investing, especially if you're lacking confidence kind of in any aspect at the beginning, just start, you know, maybe the first few are sabotaged because you are no good at it because you have no confidence, but you will build that confidence. So even when we were talking about that deal that I saw the for sale sign on, my whole purpose for calling on that was just to get used to asking the realtor the kinds of questions that I knew I needed to ask. And then over time, you know, even calling on, you know, maybe you want to start investing in big multi-residential. So 20 plex. The first time I called on a 20 plex, I was super nervous. 
now when I call, I feel super confident. So it's just, you actually have to do it. You can read all about it, but actually doing it is what's going to really increase your success, make you better at it. Yeah. You got to get the reps in. So what's next for you and your business at this point? Yeah. So right now I'm actually working on three buy, fix, renovate, refinance properties. So working on that, we've got a fourplex that's being completely gutted. These are all to be refinanced after and keep as cash flow. And so looking to acquire more of those. I'm actually looking more toward bigger multi-unit residential. I'm working right now on a 27 plex that I'm looking to partner with on that. And yeah, just looking to grow the portfolio with partners mostly. Awesome. Man, that's amazing. You're busy. Kind of busy. I've outsourced a lot of it, so it's good. Uh, How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can go to my website. So it's investwithnicole.com. There's a contact page there if they have questions, if they are interested in partnering or even just kind of want to know a little bit more about the strategies that I use. There's a contact page there. Or they can email me at nicole at investwithnicole.com. Okay, very cool. And as always, we're going to have that info on our uh, website page for this episode. So you can go there and you can find all Nicole's uh, links and contacts and whatnot. And uh, maybe we'll slap up her. You know what we should do, Sandy? When we ask people for their quotes or piece of advice, we should put that like on there somewhere too. We can do that. Yep. Now, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Easiest way right now is uh, through our office, 905 or send a quick email out to info at mckayrealtynetwork.com. That's McKay, M-A-C-K-A-Y. And uh, we can talk that way. We can set up something, phone call, whatever it may be, and go from there. Very, very cool. If someone would like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at 289-927-0464 or rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. That's my email. So, uh Drop me a line or the same as Nicole. If you have any questions about anything in this uh, Durham or Peterborough area, which we're sort of reaching our, uh, stretching our paws out into now uh, for some really great cash flow out there, you can uh, give me a call. That would be awesome. Okay, Nicole, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. We had a bunch of technical difficulties and you were left hanging for quite some time before the show. So I apologize for that, but I'm glad that you were able to stick around and do the interview. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Uh, Everyone, have a great night.